What's going on everybody? This is Grant, the Cause Artist. Today we are going to chat with Ben Kennard, the founder and CEO of Five North Chocolate. Um, I'm recording this through my hotel room in New York right now, so if the audio is a little weird or different, I apologize. I'm kind of just doing it off the whim here. For the intro, I'm just going to kind of read something that we did in our list for uh, 2019 social entrepreneurs to watch for. Ben was one of those. Um, so I'm just going to read the intro for that to, to give you an idea of, of what we're about to talk about and, and the amazing things he's up to. So as an advocate for fair trade, Ben has worked with businesses, organizations locally, nationally, and internationally to drive economic impact to marginalized farmers, artisans, and producers in the developing world. For his work in the movement, Fair Trade International named Ben one of the 2016 top 10 biggest fair trade advocates in the world and number one in the U.S. His passion for fair trade has taken him to the TEDx stage and on the ground to fair trade farms in Ecuador and artisan workshops in India. Dedicated to the great taste of chocolate, thanks Ben, consumer health and sustainable sourcing, he founded Five North Chocolate, an award-winning certified LGBT business enterprise supporting cacao farmers around the world by creating delicious, nutritious, fair trade certified chocolate. Five North is proud to celebrate diversity, and is the first ever brand to be featured the National LGBT Chamber of Commerce seal on a packaged good. And we talk a lot about that and how important that is to be the first company ever to have this seal of approval on their packaging. Um, so we talk a lot about that, obviously about you know fair trade chocolate, getting into an industry that he really didn't know anything about <laughs> and just starting the company and, and driving it up to this point. Um, so I hope you guys enjoy the conversation. And I'll see you next week. Bye. First question I have is, is the journey that you have taken? Um, because I think it's been a pretty cool one. You know, travel has played a big part, which it does for, you know, a lot of social entrepreneurs that, that I've talked to. Um, so let's just talk a little bit about your journey on, on how you started your company. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I started this company actually out of college. I was a senior in college with, you know, the ambition to change the candy industry. <laughs> so the concept actually started as as hard candies infused with with vitamins. And you know, I don't think the actual product was ever super important, but more or less kind of what it represented uh, and what we wanted to change and that was kind of this this idea that that candy and snacks are usually guilty. Um they're guilty pleasures for lots of different reasons, whether it be the ingredients that are in them or or when you're consuming them, or even the farmers you know on the ground making them possible. And the ideal was uh, to kind of reverse that entire notion and change that paradigm. And that definitely came from some of my travels. You know, I traveled to India and Ecuador visiting artisans and farmers on the ground and seeing you know some of the devastating uh, effects of globalization on these people. Um, but also some of the incredible impact that third-party certification like fair trade can have on them. Uh, and to me, that would kind of pushed me uh, to see what was possible and to to make it a reality. And when you went to Ecuador, to India, what, what did you see there that sort of raised your eyebrows a little bit and kind of inspired you to to take a real look at, at what you can do um, to help out? Yeah, you know, in India... We visited with artisan groups who who literally climbed their way out of poverty and and off of the streets to create a better life and invest in their future. So we heard stories about generations who were finally sending their children to college 
who in the past would never have had the opportunity to do that. And in Ecuador, we learned about cacao farmers on the ground who used to be kind of producing a crop and sending it out as quickly as possible to get, you know, some form of tiny payment to barely even pay for the, for the crop itself to a shift in seeing them really invest back into those farms to kind of really increase their livelihood, but also uh, increase the quality of their crop and and the quality of, of the work that they were putting into it. So we learned firsthand kind of the the effect that investing in your own community and in yourself can have on on the quality of the product itself. Was this a was this a school trip with a university? So my trip to Ecuador, I actually won <laughs> oh, nice. uh, from a photo contest in college. Um, and it was an educational tour through Ecuador uh, with fair trade campaigns. Interesting. Uh, yeah, which was, you know, kind of once in a lifetime, an awesome opportunity to see um, all different farmers and artisans on the ground and actually meet them. So how did how did chocolate become the thing that you wanted to focus on the most? You know, I, I get that question a lot. <laughs> Um, and I, Cause I love chocolate. It's like yeah. <laughs> my, one of my obsessions in life. So, you know, I'm always, you know, when I, when I kind of found out about sort of the quote unquote dark side of, of chocolate and, you know, the exploitation, um, of a lot of big companies that supply chocolate, I was like, I was devastated because I've always had a great love for chocolate and it's always been like probably my first love in life really was chocolate. So, um, <laughs> So it's really been it's really been a journey for me to kind of like discover different parts of it and, and how it, it sort of originates and how it gets made and all these little geeky parts about it. But I think it's important to to understand the things you love in life. You must know where they come from. Absolutely. And, you know, Grant, that's funny you say that. I think chocolate is, you know, a love story for many. Mm -hmm, for sure. <laughs> um, and rightfully so, you know, I mean, there's so many parts about chocolate that are kind of ingrained in our culture and our lives. And I, you know, I've had for a while an appreciation for really good chocolate and to understand what it what it meant for chocolate to actually be quality and and contain good ingredients and, and to be really labeled as, as chocolate. <laughs> Most of the, you know, the mass produced chocolates on the market today, I consider those to be candy. Mm. Um, but when it comes to good chocolate, you know, it's it's high in cacao and the other ingredients don't overpower that flavor. Um, so it really started for me with an appreciation for good chocolate and then, you know, learning and understanding that what makes good chocolate is cacao. And cacao is a healthy superfood fruit that grows 10 degrees north and south of the equator. And that to me is is what chocolate is, what real chocolate is all about. Um, and then, of course, you know, my understanding of and my history in the fair trade movement allowed me to kind of use that passion to create good impact for cacao farmers in West Africa. Um, so it was kind of a culmination of all of these things, appreciating good chocolate, understanding the health benefits of the ingredient that makes chocolate chocolate, and wanting to support farmers on the ground. For those who, who don't know yet what what fair trade means can you kind of walk through you know what that fair trade certification really stands for you know what it does versus you know a company who hasn't taken that leap or, or hasn't been certified what, what does that really mean for for a company be fair trade and what does it mean for the workers to be 
you know, part of a company that is fair trade? Absolutely. So, you know, fair trade is is a, a third party certification um, that ensures farmers on the ground are earning a fair wage for their work. Um, they're working in safe conditions uh, and they're not ut- utilizing child labor. So it's really a way of, of kind of making sure that that the community is um, is up is being upheld to a standard on the on the ground and in the workplace um, that actually supports them. Um, and the way that I can explain fair trade in its easiest form is kind of in, in two pieces. So fair trade is is kind of the understanding that it's trade, not aid, mm. that will help people. Mm-hmm. So it's about really farmers earning dignified wage for their work. Uh, and the other piece to it is that, for example, in cacao, for each ton of cacao that's sold on fair trade standards, uh, a premium is actually sent back to the farming community. And it's democratically decided what will happen with that premium within the community. So not only are farmers earning a fair wage, but then the community itself is actually uh, receiving a premium to invest back in. And that could be, you know, used in in all different forms, like um, implementation of a healthcare system, uh, a housing program, um, you know, a building of a school or a clean water project. Uh, But that's actually democratically decided on the ground by the farming community what to do with it. What is the cacao exactly? You said it was it was a, a fruit. Yeah. You know, it's funny. Most people believe chocolate comes from a factory in Belgium. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, I know it's what over 70 percent is made in West Africa. Correct. Some some right. Like, yeah. Figure, so, yeah. Yeah. Two thirds of the world's cacao is grown five degrees north of the equator in West Africa. And that's mm-hmm. actually, you know, where the name for our company, Five North, came mm-hmm. from. And what people, what lots of people don't realize is that cacao is a fruit that grows on a tree on a farm near the equator. And that fruit is super healthy, but comes with lots of complications in the supply chain process. Um, It's actually a commodity traded on the market, Mm -hmm. uh, which is, you know, it's really challenging to explain Mm -hmm. that consumer. But, you know, the more that we know about it, I think the better. When you did your, when you were kind of first getting into you know, chocolate and looking at the industry as a whole, what are some of the things that, that you discovered and, and really wanted to to make a point to try to change? You know, I think like most good entrepreneurs, I jumped into this market and this industry totally naive. <laughs> that's, that's a good way to do it sometimes. Yeah, yeah. You have to have some blinders, blinders on uh, and to be uh, relatively uh, ambitious and ideal in your in your nature. I didn't realize for sure how saturated this market is at least you know on the cpg on the consumer packaged mm-hmm. goods side of things mm-hmm. um how just how saturated the market is but also how competitive it is and how complex food is i mean the food industry in general mm-hmm. is complex and chocolate for sure has you know so many different moving pieces to it and there's there's lots of different little parts to the chocolate industry so there's premium chocolate, there's bean to bar, there's craft, there's, you know, there's your mass produced chocolate brands. Um, I think there's so many different types. You kind of have, have to understand where you fit and then you have to understand how that market operates and, and what your customers like, what they don't like, what your retail partners like and what they really don't like. <laughs> how long was the, the process from ideation to actually launching a product that people can buy that process probably lasted about four months so you know it was my senior semester in college i was actually in an entrepreneurial training program 
where we were writing the business plan for this for this business. <laughs> and we started sampling, you know, recipes out of our college dorm room, literally. And then when I graduated, I jumped into a commercial kitchen and started producing um, the snacks as as fast as I could. Um, and, and it was super messy, <laughs> but you made it work. And and by that point, we did have a sellable product that we started selling at farmers markets. How did you discover the fair trade supplier just through research and reaching out to associations and, and trying to discover a way to to get sort of an ethical supply chain in place for the product? So, you know, that's kind of where our, our partnership with Fair Trade USA comes in. Um, and that's really the beauty of that partnership is that the the certifier themselves, they really know the, the source mm-hmm. uh, and they know who you can work with and, and, and they can understand really what you're looking for. And so we really relied heavily on that partnership for them to help us find find what we needed within our supply chain. And so, yeah, Fairtrade USA was really in- instrumental in, in helping us achieve that. Now, fair trade is one thing, but then there's a new sort of certification that you you guys have been sort of the launch pad for is the certified LGBT business, correct? You guys are the first packaged good with the seal on it of this. That's pretty insane. That's exactly right, Grant. Um, and, you know, actually this, you know, this certification and this seal is is not all that new, but the use of it on a package mm. is and so, um, yeah, we are a certified LGBT business enterprise, um, which maybe to give your listeners some context, it's very similar to WeBank, which is the Women's Business Enterprise National Council. And they are, you know, a third party certifier of businesses owned and controlled and operated by women. And that is very similar to exactly what the National LGBT Chamber of Commerce is but for the LGBT community. And this is, you know, this is not a new certification, but it has never been stamped on a packaged good. And for me, it was, it was kind of important to really show that off mm-hmm. and to, ce- to celebrate diversity, not just on a social level, but also on an economic level. Uh, I think that's sometimes what we forget is that our economy is, is diverse and, and honestly needs to be diverse to be successful and to represent lots of different voices within the economy. Uh, and for us, this was a way to celebrate that, that level of diversity as well. Did you push for like the seal to be on just packaged good in general? Like why did it all of a sudden they decide, hey, let's kind of put this on the packages of, of companies that, that are a part of us? What was that process like? Yeah, you know, I was um, last summer, I became a member of the National LGBT Chamber of Commerce. And I think that was actually one of my first questions was like, where can I show this off? (laughs) And and how can I really, you know, kind of ignite this conversation on a on a broader level? And that was, you know, I had actually I had seen the the WeBank, the women's certification on different packaged goods before. Um, You see, you know, B Corp certification on packaging, 1% for the planet. I mean, these are all certifications that don't necessarily have to do with the supply chain but actually have to do with kind of the social stance of the company itself. Right. And to me, you know, in a, in a way that's that's where lots of industries are moving towards, not just food, but I think, you know, all sorts of of companies and packaged goods. Um and in food, you know, we're used to seeing supply chain labels, non-GMO, organic, fair trade certified. Those are all about where the ingredients are coming from and how they're treated. We're not as used to seeing these these social labels, I'll mm-hmm. call them. And I'm I'm excited to see, I think, where that could lead 
and to really start pushing brands to to kind of take a stance on on certain issues. Yeah, it's interesting. I think that more and more will. Do you know any others right now that this has sparked interest in that, you know, maybe they they saw you post about it or or saw it on your label and kind of wanted to do the same thing? Honestly, not yet. Um, we just launched it in January uh, and we got, you know, really cool feedback, really mostly positive feedback mm-hmm. and, you know, certainly some questions about, oh, my gosh, like I, I didn't even know that this was a thing. And, and now, you know, people are definitely hoping that other brands will start to spotlight that as well. But we'll see. You know, I I, I truly do hope that this kind of becomes more of a norm and I'm going to keep my eyes out. I think it will. No, I absolutely think it will. I think a lot of these certifications, you know, you can you can look on a box and there can be six of them on there, right? So I think part of it is just uh, education. It's always about education, right? It's it's when a person looks at it, they they know what it means, right? So part I think part of that is the struggle for um, a lot of companies is when you know they get a, you know stamp of approval on their product, right? But mm-hmm. the consumer still has to understand what it actually means, right? Because you know they not, might not even be be looking for that, right? Some people might go into a store and. and look for some type of of certain label um, on a package, but others might just go in just wanting to get a product, right? But them understanding and knowing what certain things mean when they go to shop, I think it's super important. I think it will separate people in the marketplace. So I really do think it's a big deal, man. I think that this is, uh, you're going to see a lot lot more companies with this on on their packaging. Absolutely. And, you know, so many of our customers are, are more self-educated, um, you know, not really relying on, on what other people are telling them, but actually kind of trying to find out for themselves what is relevant and why is it, is it so? And a lot of our customers, I, I lovingly call ingredient readers. Um, Mm. so they're, you know, they're the type of person who doesn't really care what's on the front of the package, but they flip it over and they can analyze a nutrition facts label and an ingredient statement um, without a problem. And these are the type of people who, when they're eating a product or consuming something, they'll sit with the package and they'll try and absorb, you know, what they can, um, and they'll be hungry for more. <laughs> pun intended. <laughs> what uh, what was the journey like? Some of the hurdles that you had to go through, because I mean, I know it's you know it's been a few years now almost, and uh, I'm sure you've had some. <laughs> some pains you had to endure in, in getting to this point. So, so what were some of those? You know, I think with any food product, um, it was kind of entering that industry. Uh, it's kind of like an all or nothing <laughs> uh, move when you first start. Uh, and we needed to make sure that, you know, our recipe was, was delicious uh, and scalable. And we also needed to make sure that it was food safe and that we were actually producing a product that we could sell on the shelf. Um, and lots of those things take take time and investment and and lots of learnings along the way. And I think that, you know, that's a major part of it. Uh, When you look at this from maybe more of like a a startup lens, uh, that is, is probably, you know, one of our biggest challenges too, is, is being a startup and learning how to navigate uh, a new industry with, you know, a product line that you pray and hope that people will love. <laughs> so I would say, you know, the biggest challenges have been like being in food, uh, which is also a great, a great pleasure, I would say. But also, you know, just being a startup in general uh, is a really hard, lonely, challenging space to be in. It's super rewarding, but you have to 
you have to really believe that to to kind of move forward with it. What's uh what was the class like when you said you're at your entrepreneur course in college, correct? Mm, yeah. Um, what what sort of you know creative things and and sort of ideas did that course give you? And and would you recommend other people getting involved in in their own colleges in these certain courses? Because sometimes a lot of people just you know they're like, oh, I want to start a business, but I don't really know how to do it. And and sometimes there's a lot of the times, I mean, there's resources all around us, wherever we are. Um, so what was that experience like and how did that help you? Yeah. So, you know, the, the course starts with, with an ideation session. Um, so actually kind of coming up with and digging out ideas that could have some potential in the market and really validating those ideas before kind of moving forward with them. And the second part to the course is, is writing the business plan and arguably more importantly, writing the investor pitch. And now the investor pitch isn't necessarily something that you're going to use to actually raise money, but it's really more about telling the story and seeing the story of your brand, your products, your company as a vision. Uh, so, you know, from the beginning, I've always said we're a small company with a big vision uh, and you need to kind of see into the future uh, to understand you know, the growth potential of, of your product, your brand, uh, and the company itself. And I would say that is what that course taught us best was seeing and telling a story that's bigger than what we were at the time. Uh, and I think that's a trap that a lot of entrepreneurs fall into is understanding that they are small, you know, and their idea is really in its infant stage, but it won't be forever. And you need to, you need to kind of learn to step past that and to see the potential for for what it can become. So funding is always a tough subject. <laughs> um, what was that process like uh, for you? I know you've won some competitions, so you've gotten you've run some pretty nice awards to where you've had you know some capital injected that way. But did you go through a process where you looked at friends and families or accelerators or you know angel investors that were were in your sort of network? How, how did that process go for you? Yeah, I mean, you know, it really it honestly goes back to that investor pitch uh, where we weren't necessarily raising money, but at, you know, different competitions and different platforms like that, an investor pitch and a really good one can go a long way. Uh, and that can actually help you win, win some of those competitions and win some some seed money. Um, we had some really awesome support from our university in the beginning. Um, some of our seed funding came from a, a grant uh, from the business department. Uh, as well as from uh, the Clinton Global Initiative University, and then also just from a few other, you know, entrepreneurial pitch competitions. So in the beginning, that is where kind of all of our, our seed funding came from. Uh, so the investor pitch wasn't just about helping us to believe in the story, but but getting others to believe in it as well. I like I like the idea of of pitching a lot. It's kind of like uh, stand up comedy. Where comedians will kind of go to these smaller clubs, right, and, and perfect their routine and and and, and perfect their jokes, and, and you know, take out what doesn't work, and you know, you kind of get that live feedback from an audience. Oh yeah. Uh, so I think it's important that if an entrepreneur is trying to to raise any any amount of capital, right, because ten thousand dollars could mean a million dollars to somebody, right? Mm -hmm. The the amount is really is really not relevant, but perfecting your ability 
to to show your vision is super important because that's very difficult to do sometimes is you know you have all these visions in your head but to explain that to people in a digestible way is what will get uh your company funding so all these pitch events or competitions like use it as like stand-up comedy and just practice right and then you only need to perfect it that one time and then there you go Right. <laughs> I love that. that comparison. And it's I mean, it's so true. There were so many instances in the beginning where we were pitching in, in front of, you know, small audiences or even just our class or our professor or, um, you know, people within the industry, anybody, honestly, who would listen to us and pitching to them and really being paid back in the form of feedback, uh, getting our nose bloodied and and figuring out where we went wrong uh, and crafting you know, crafting the vision to make sense for for a better, larger um, audience. So, yeah, that was uh, kind of crucial in our in our time as a startup. Um, I don't know if you had a chance to to read that article that I sent you uh, earlier about sort of climate change and its effects possibly on, you know, chocolate production. I've read it. I probably read it like six months ago and I, I thought it was interesting and i always find it interesting you know from a company's perspective especially around food because there's so many different aspects of of our lives that are affected by food right what do we put in our bodies like how are we making it how is it affecting the environment you know is forever consumption a good a good thing to do right there's all these different things that go into play with food and the idea that chocolate could sort of disappear in you know 50 to to 80 years you know natural chocolate it's there mm. it's it's a weird thing to think about i don't know if you know you, you kind of look at that and and find and look at ways that you can make a difference there yeah you know i have I, I kind of look at this from three different angles and one is you know absolutely what that article was talking about um in that climate change is truly affecting the output that farmers are experiencing on their farms. Um, and that is something that, I mean, the entire industry needs to needs to work together to tackle. And that's, you know, something that's affecting farmers around the world and, and people around the world. Um, so climate change is certainly a, a piece of that. And I think it's so important that we that we fix that that problem for farmers. And the other piece is, you know, we talked about how the demand for um, chocolate might outweigh this the actual supply on hand mm -hmm. that's i mean that's in part due to the fact that the chocolate industry is growing at like four percent every single year in the u.s and that you know if, if that continues to grow and we don't have supply to back that up then then we're in trouble um at least from an economic standpoint and maybe then chocolate will become more of a, a luxury good that, mm -hmm. that <laughs> we have to kind of consume in a in a more appropriate way <laughs> and not just by the mouthful yep Although I hope that doesn't happen because I love you know, chocolate is like a meal for me. <laughs> and the third piece that I think we often forget about is, um, you know, the way that the industry is currently set up and the way that supply chains are currently treating farmers is that we're not we're not investing in these farmers and the next generation of cacao farmers. So the younger generation that is now entering the workforce uh, doesn't actually see a future in cacao. Um, you know, mm. they've seen. They see how the industry has has left their parents. They see how the industry has um, has treated them in the workforce, and they don't see cacao 
as the future. They see, you know, moving to cities and finding work elsewhere and, and probably new industries because, you know, they know that they won't be able to provide for their family or for themselves in cacao. And so if we don't start investing in these farmers and in these communities, we're going to see a shift in the workforce. And we already are experiencing that. And we're going to see, you know, a heck of a lot less in, in the supply side of cacao. I really do believe that if we start investing in farming communities, especially through things like fair trade, um, we will see, you know, farmers actually caring about it and farmers kind of flocking towards um, cacao as an industry. Are you familiar with uh, direct trade? Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, direct trade has so many positives to it, especially for for smaller companies that are able to work directly with farmers. I think, you know, for for companies who can kind of explain that transparency and communicate that to their customers, direct trade is is a great model for some. Why not for for all just because different there's just different sizes to to orders and and all these kind of different things. Yeah, I mean, I think it would be maybe next to impossible to to make the ask that you know all chocolate companies work directly with their farmers mm-hmm. just you know for so many different reasons uh i mean even for for us for example we you know started as as a group of college students who wanted to change the candy industry we knew nothing about <laughs> farmers right. and 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 you know the the people along the supply chain we knew next to nothing about and it would be, you know, kind of unreasonable for for us to be, you know, <laughs> taking a flight to Ghana and and right. getting on the ground and and start talking with farmers and place an order uh, with them right there. So for some, that model absolutely works because they have those direct relationships with their farmers. And for others, we rely on on third party certification to kind of help us along the supply chain. Do you ever foresee when you know maybe when you got bigger and you know things are things are kind of streamlined? Would you ever want to do something like that? Absolutely. Um, you know, I think I think that is very much in our future to really connect with the people on the ground who are who are making our chocolate a reality. And that is, you know, actually something within the next few weeks we'll be releasing some really cool farmer stories about the impacts that Fairtrade has um, on them and and kind of helping our our customer connect with with their purchase and with the product and with our mission a little bit better. Um, and I do see, you know, in the future, I absolutely do see a more direct relationship as we scale and as we're, you know, we're capable of, of actually doing that. Is most of the chocolate, I, I'm totally assuming here, but is a lot of the consumed chocolate exported to America and, you know, North America and probably Europe? Or is is there a lot of demand in Africa for chocolate? No. <laughs> so, yeah. So most of most of the chocolate, you know, most of the cacao is, is being exported to Europe and to the U.S. and North America. And, it, you know, in Africa, there is a small level of consumption of, of chocolate. Um, but a majority of farmers actually don't don't really understand the concept of chocolate. Mm, so I actually just last week I was in Chicago at the Fair Trade Campaigns Conference and I met the the farmer trainer from the Ivory Coast who actually works with the farmers on the ground to implement fair trade standards and we actually we were able to ask him you know what do what do your farmers think about chocolate and you know the chocolate that mm-hmm. we can and most of them don't really even know it huh. <laughs> um, and and he actually recommended that they take some of their cacao and they mix it with you know some milk and sugar 
and and feed it to your children. That's what he recommended. And and the parents you know looked at him like he had seven heads. <laughs> <laughs> that is pretty wild though, right? Like that's that's interesting that that it's not even you know on their radar that but you know i, I mean look i, I think uh, anytime you're so close to something you know usually you don't see it from an outside perspective you know in a lot of in, in a lot of different avenues you know in life so i, I guess it, it does make sense to that point um but that's pretty funny uh what i guess to the farmers too i think what are some of the things that that they are saying like through some of the stories that you guys are going to tell what are some of the feedback they give you know pre pre i guess you know, fair trade, right? Because it's not a fairly new concept, but, you know, it's really come in the mainstream maybe the last, you know, decade, maybe two decades or so. So what, what has life been like for them or, or what did they express about kind of before fair trade came along um, and now their their experiences with, with farming? Well, you know, I mean, cacao is is their livelihood. I mean, it is it is their entire life. Um, most of these farmers are are growing cacao literally in their backyard, mm-hmm. um, and you know, the size of their farms are are really small. They'll have, you know, a certain portion of their farm dedicated to cacao, and then another portion, literally, to the food that they grow to eat. And I think, you know, what they want us to understand, um, you know, w- whenever I get the opportunity, one of my first questions is like, what would you like to tell us? You know, what, what would you like to communicate to us uh, as we consume your product? Mm -hmm. And it's really to, to kind of understand and appreciate and respect the work that went into it because they truly want us to, to enjoy it. And they want this ingredient to be, to be a part of, of our, of our culture and what we're doing. But we all, they also want us to understand where it's coming from. Um, And to me, what that means is that you know, I, it almost has instilled this responsibility in me to kind of respect the ingredient, which is why, you know, for all of our chocolate snacks, the first ingredient is cacao. And that is, you know, that is the flavor, that is the ingredient that I want to be highlighted more than anything else. And I think, I think that is what above anything else that these farmers want is to be respected and to have, you know, really the ingredient to, to kind of carry that respect as it gets as it gets processed and packaged and consumed. Do they when you when you guys have chatted with them, do they say any do they voice any of their concerns about certain things in dealing with with business and you know the supply chain and all the different aspects that go into a buyer seller relationship from from a wholesale point of view do they do they voice any concerns on on what we as consumers can do better, what you as business can do better? Yeah, I mean, you know, like I mentioned before, cacao is traded on the market. Mm-hmm. It is super volatile. Yeah, and I mean, the price of cacao can change so dramatically. That, you know, the price per pound. And honestly, one of the things that Fair Trade does to to kind of create a safety net is is it it has a minimum price per pound um, for cacao, and that minimum price can literally save farmers when the price of cacao on the market drops. And I think you know that. The, the volatility of cacao and, and the market itself is what concerns farmers. And that is, you know, just another reason why I think fair trade is so important um, to make sure that these farmers have kind of a safety net so that they're not, you know, losing out on an entire year's worth of crop, uh, which which can happen. Does is there been any evidence or, or studies that fair trade or direct trade has lowered the volatility in cacao? I wonder if anybody has done any type of research Seems, on that. Yeah. 
that's a great question. Um, you know, since cacao is is consistently traded on the market, um, I don't know that it that the market itself will will become less volatile. But I do know that on the side of the supply chain where the farmers are actually being paid for their work and for for the ingredient that they're exporting, they experience less volatility because of this safety net. So in, you know, in a season where the market prices is way low and where they would normally be lowing out uh, or, or losing out, the safety net of the fair trade minimum price can actually save them in that moment. Interesting. Um, so yeah, for on the farmer side, it absolutely decreases the volatility. On the market side, I, I don't know. Well, is there is there anything that that you would like to say to to any you know social entrepreneur out there that that really wants to to start a business, has an idea, but kind of doesn't have any clue on how to do it? You know, that was kind of in your same shoes where you went into a market where you really didn't have any clue and really naive about what this market was, the history of it you know, the competition, so to speak. Is there any advice you would give to to people that were in your shoes three years ago that want to take a leap? You know, when you look at starting a business or, or being a startup entrepreneur, most people will tell you and will be very upfront with you about how extremely hard it is <laughs> and, and just, you know, just how difficult it is to be successful with it. The biggest piece of advice that I have, which would fill kind of the gap that, that people don't tell you, is just how much you're going to learn. You know, for me, this this experience is is more than, than a project. It has literally become my life. <laughs> and I would argue that this, to me, is, is my version as an entrepreneur of getting a master's degree. Uh, and I know I'm probably making some higher ed people, like, really cringe out there. <laughs> But uh, I have to say that, you know, the all the different pieces of business that I am learning um, by being hands on with with literally every piece of the business is is so valuable to me as an entrepreneur, as a student, as, you know, a lifelong learner and as someone who's really passionate about about business and about social entrepreneurship. I have learned more, arguably more than I could in a really high profile master's program. Uh, and I, I truly do feel passionate about that and, and passionate about this experience as a great learning opportunity. So if for nothing else, this experience has been so valuable to me on a personal and professional level, uh, and I, I don't want to forget that. And I want other entrepreneurs to know going into it that you have to love and experience and enjoy the journey as much as humanly possible along the way. It's so funny you say that because I said that the other day about the master's degree. Um, I, I totally, I totally agree with you that you know I always say that I said like these last five years I've just I've gotten a you know a master's degree in you know digital media and and social entrepreneurship like that's there's no other way there's no possible way to get educated like that from a university setting or like a course setting unless you just you just kind of do it. You know, there really is no better education. And, and for one, for the most part, it, it can be more inexpensive, right? <laughs> the pain might, the pain might be worse <laughs> that you, <laughs> that you experience through, through the trials and tribulations. But by just doing things, you know, it doesn't cost you a lot to, to just kind of follow something you're passionate about. Um, obviously you'll have to, you know, put up some money and, and try to scrape together some stuff. But if you really want to do it, you'll find a way. 
And uh, it, it's the greatest education um, time that I've had in my life. You know, so I think that it's important to to make that to make that distinction of of how education and this process can take you down roads that you've never thought you'd go down. I can totally resonate with that, Grant. <laughs> <laughs> All right, my man. Well, I appreciate you taking the time um, and uh, and good luck with everything. I think that you're doing some great things. I really do believe that the LGBT uh, certification that being on the package, I think is going to change the game for, for a lot of companies. I think there you're going to be uh, very, very surprised and pleasantly surprised of, of how that is, is taken by the market and, and people really, uh, you know, purchasing, purchasing items that take not a stand really. I mean, it's not even really a stand. It's just kind of like, this is, this is kind of who we are and, and what we support. Absolutely. So I think it's a big deal, man. I really do. Thanks, Grant. I do, I do appreciate that support. And, and I think so too.